Is that your agenda? Or is that someone else's agenda? And um, responsibility. Leadership, initiative, responsibility. And we were told that we were going to be speaking to the young, uh, up-and-coming leaders of tomorrow. The men. I'm a daughter. Yeah. You, you need to increase the pace there. You know? So I'm not going to do this in the fashion of, a, of what someone would have done if they were standing up there. I'm going to make it as, uh, as informal a, a talk as possible. And I want to make it very clear that this is not in any way exhaustive. I am still very young, despite what some of you think you know about me, you do not know me. I am extremely young. Um, I know I've castigated some of you for calling me Baba and you know, all those weird things. I, I, I'm really extremely young. Um, and so this cannot be exhaustive. There's still a lot that I, I am yet to learn. And I think there's a lot that you also have to learn. There's a lot that we still have to learn. I think there are people who would have done a much better job at this than I could ever do, but this is how it is. I thought that we would, it would be good for us to consider the examples in the Bible of Joseph and um, Daniel and, uh, and David as we look at these three these three words, leadership, initiative, and, um, and responsibility. Thank you. And that, that even came from a lady. Yeah. I hope the gents are listening. So there are a couple of things that I was picking up as I was going through the stories of these three individuals, and I thought that it would be good for you and for me to approach it that way, because then it's easy to remember, it's stuff that you can jot down, and it's stuff that one can always reference when they go back to the, to the text. A couple of years ago, actually a couple of months ago, I had the privilege of standing, of sitting in front of, I mean, I won't mention his name, but um, a fairly well, you know, experienced person when it comes to a lot of these topics that we are speaking about. And um, as he spoke and, uh, you know, as he addressed us and we were listening, I, I mean, there's one thing that I, I picked up that I thought makes a lot of, has a lot of uh, currency in the discussion that we're having this afternoon. By the way, it's not going to take longer than 30 minutes. There's one thing that really stood out for me. Um, that I thought I'd, I'd, I'd start there, then we, we sort of get into the thing. I'm going to combine leadership and initiative and responsibility, so I'm not going to break them up, and, and you'll see why. This world, this world, and you'll see it right through the, the, the book of, I mean, right through the books of the Bible, even with these characters that we're talking about, the Daniels and the Josephs and the Davids, this world is actually a world that has many agendas that are pulling in many different directions. 
The truth of the matter, however, is that the direction that societies take and communities take and families take are not decided by the collective. It's never the case that they are decided by the collective. You know, when you look at the story of Joseph, you see a brother who had dreams. And a time came when he had to make the next move, if I can call it that. Or that is the way in which the Lord orchestrated it. The agendas that we find in families, the agendas we find in communities, in society, in, in, in companies, in churches, these things are set by individuals. One person. One person. It's not set by a group of people. I know that we subscribe to a, um, a church that has systems in place so that we do not and cannot function and be led by one individual. But I want us to take the lessons that we find from these three individuals. Agendas and directions are not determined by, by, by to death. One man. One man. Now, the, the, the devil obviously uses this in many ways. There are those who he uses for his own ends and they wreak a lot of havoc. There are those that the Lord uses and they achieve a lot of greatness, the glory of his name. Which sort of leads me to the next thing. If you notice, Joseph never succumbed to the notion, and it was a case with Daniel, it was a case with, uh, with David, but we'll come back to David in a bit. The notion of we, we are going this way, and I will not go this way until we all agree to go this way. I don't know if you understand what I am saying. So you can never make the brave decision, take the brave position to say, this is where I'm going to go and the Lord will see me through to his logical end. So, you know, we are always bargaining, you know, is it me? No, we're going to do this as a group. And so the problem with that is that we end up hiding behind the numbers. Because then if, if, if it fails, no one has to take responsibility for it. But unfortunately, you have to take the decision. There's something I wanted to, you know, we're talking about decision, there's something that we talk about social capital. Well, we don't talk about it, but there's something referred to as social capital. I don't know how many of us know what social capital is, and you're not allowed to, um, if you're a postgrad or something, you're not allowed to raise your hand. Does anyone, how many of us are familiar with the notion of social capital? Okay. Yeah. An extremely important asset in leadership, social capital. The... Okay, those who are like academics, please, please. 
This is not an academic exercise. So do not hang me on the cross. But let me say this, social capital is something without which, let me first define it. The ability to stand in a group, be it the family, be it an organization, be it a community, and successfully communicate to them where you're going. To the point where they see enough in you, as has been demonstrated over the years, for them to follow you. That is social capital. If you don't believe that it is important, have a look at the life of David after he committed the atrocious things that he committed. He killed Uriah's wife, had a child with her. In his own family, he didn't have social capital. In his community, he didn't have social capital. Well, if you speak to Jews today, they still look up to David, but the damage has already been done. And as a result, we sort of have a nation that ended up completely broken. So it obviously didn't break in his term, but one could make the argument that it began in his term. So why is this important? It's important because today you're a student or a young person, whatever the case may be. And uh, the days go by and the years go by and you know, and you do the things you do, who cares, it doesn't matter. 20, 30 years down the line, and the major opportunity comes up, a major responsibility comes up. But there's something that happened many years ago. Yeah, I, I know about the issue of forgiveness, even David was forgiven. But that issue compromises social capital. So much so to the point that you are so crippled, you're unable to carry out your task because you do not have the social capital. Are you guys following me? So what you do today is actually an investment for what you might need to do tomorrow. How you carry yourself, how you speak, the type of reputation that you leave behind, how you deal with people. You may never see them again for the next 15 years, but they will always remember the type of person that you were. And that's important so that when they see you next time, donning a really good suit, you know, working for a really good company, they don't have to spend five hours with you. They know who you were the last time they met you. Many of us think that this university life is going to be forgotten and we can start a brand new chapter when we graduate. It doesn't work like that. You will be remembered for who and what you were for the rest of your life. Because what they saw day in, day out for five, four, five years, six years, is who you are, at least as far as they are concerned. And um, some of you probably have even appreciated the, um, the effects of good social capital. You know, like, you know, when you're in the community and then they ask you, you know, what's your surname and you give them your surname and you've never done anything, but just because you mentioned that surname, people look at you differently. Someone built that social capital. The Bible in the book of Proverbs calls it a good name. It's just that ability to stand up and when you stand up, people know, yeah, no. That's a clean 
guy, I mean, uh, you know. But now, you know, you have eroded the thing. Children come out of, you know, a marriage. And then even when their surname comes up, oh, that family, yeah, that family. The children did nothing. They are just the recipients of whatever it is that the parents built or didn't in the community. A big part of this is implicit and explicit responsibility. Now, implicit responsibility is that which we expect from you without telling you. That's implicit responsibility. We expect you to take a bath in the morning, brush your teeth, put on your clothes and come to church with clean clothes. That's implicit responsibility. It's a responsibility. But we do not expect that from a child. In fact, if a child can do that, they are either, let's not go there, but we don't expect that from a child. But from you, it's an implicit responsibility. There's an implicit responsibility also that um, at a certain age, there's an expectation that there, is a, there are certain roles that you will have to assume. At a certain age, at a certain age, not with certain qualifications, at a certain age. So what that means is, when you get to a certain age, we can debate what that age is. Maybe the age when you start, uh, what do they call them? Sideburns. There's an expectation that there are certain responsibilities that you have to assume. Adult responsibilities. You know them, I don't have to tell you. You have to act like an adult. There are certain decisions that you have to take um, that your parents will sort of start taking a back seat. You don't have to be employed to take certain decisions. You don't have to have a degree to take certain decisions. You just have to be a certain age. So we see a 35-year-old, you know, brother, and, uh, you know, it's this, you know, mom and dad, you know. You know, I'll just, I'll just be here, I'll just sit at the back of the car. I'll just sit at the back of the car here, you know, and uh, when you're done, I'll, you know, we, we can go home. So I'm not here to scrutinize people who live with their parents at 35. I'm actually here. I'm, no, no. I'm actually addressing the issue of the responsibilities that we assume at the age of 35. Because we're adults, implicitly. An explicit responsibility, an explicit responsibility would be what you would expect in a job uh, contract. You will come to work at this time. You will do these tasks by this time, you, you have so many days of leave. We don't expect you to take more, in which case you're going to be penalized, etc., etc. When you come to university, you sort of have a contract with the university about um, the classes they provide in return for fees. Don't stone me. I'm just making a presentation. And um, that's an explicit responsibility. But I'm not too worried about explicit responsibilities. I'm more concerned about the implicit responsibilities. So even in the church setting, even in the church setting, there are implicit responsibilities. And I just want to tie that in with the initiative. I want to make an example of Joseph and then I want to come back into the church. Why do you think Joseph made the great impression that he made on Potiphar? 
It was the combination of responsibility and initiative. What's the difference? Or what is initiative in a, I don't, I don't want to give an academic um, definition. Many of us, we know when we are told, we're given instructions, so-and-so, here's a piece of paper, there's a circle on it, here's a scissor, cut around the circle and give me the circle. It doesn't take initiative to cut the circle. It doesn't take initiative. That's an instruction, a clear, clear set of instructions. Initiative says, this is what I have been told to do. Okay, now this is what I'm going to do beyond what I've been asked to do. That's initiative. And if you read the book of uh, Genesis chapter 30, 31, 32, all the way up to 35, pretty much find the story of Joseph there. I was just told I have 10 minutes left. I'm on a new thing these days, you know, keeping time, keeping time. It's, it's a new thing, yeah. It's a new thing, keeping time. So in our five minutes, just let me know our five minutes. Joseph, not only, you cannot exercise initiative without exercising responsibility. So what that means is, you, okay, so you're not a deacon and then you decide I'm going to come here and I'm going to set out the chairs nicely in the sanctuary but you come here in your pajamas. And um, I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense. They go together. So Joseph did what he was expected to do, that's responsibility, and then he did much more. I do not know if I can go much more than that without uh, getting a bit uh, prickly. So let me just try and round off with the last three points. Dignity is the thing that says, I do not care what this situation is about, I will not go down that low. That's dignity. Now, dignity has nothing to do with where you come from. I, I know we can get into a philosophical, esoteric argument about, you know, I, I know I've been there, but please, let's not go there. Dignity. If you take the Ellen White definition of this thing when she discusses this issue in the book, Mind, Character, and Personality, dignity, very closely related to self-respect, is just about seeing yourself as a human being, and then as a human being saved by God. That's dignity. So it's a thing that says, I really do not care what and why, but I'm not going to do that. Nelson Mandela once said, you can take everything away from me, but you cannot take my dignity away from me. It's that ability to conduct yourself and myself like a human being. So that a situation does not put us in a place where we are without dignity. You know, I've heard people saying, no, but you know, if, if my dignity has been taken away from me, then there's no dignity for me to preserve. Your dignity cannot be taken away from you unless you allow it to be taken away from you. I can give a lot of arguments, but I, I think this is not the platform because some of them are quite, uh, they're abrasive. So dignity will look at a situation and it will say, okay, I see what's happening, I see 
you know, if we are having an argument between people, I see, I see that we don't agree on something. But I'm not going to degenerate to that. Let, let, let's look at someone like Daniel. Let's look at someone like um, Joseph. Maybe let's look at Joseph because we've been looking at him since we began. How did Joseph treat his brothers when you compare it with how they treated him? And why do you think he did that? If they decided to treat him, they decided to become, to become less than human. Well, okay, let, maybe let, let's not say human because we are born sinners, so even what a human can do, I suppose there is no limit. Let's say Christian. They became less than Christian when they sold him as a slave. In fact, one of them tried to kill him. But if you look at how he conducted himself, even though he may have had certain issues against them, I mean, did not you degenerate to that? And then we have been studying about this man this whole quarter. It's just been about two, three weeks. Joseph, uh, not Joseph, Job, man. You know these Jays, Job. You've, you, you have Job's wives telling men, Job, man, you, your situation is hectic, man. Got boils, man. We've tried um, Lacoste. It's not working. Dolce Gabbana. It's not working. Perfumes. Perfumes. We, we've tried that. It's not working. The pus is oozing and you're smelling, man. Job, man. Given what you look like, man, just curse the Lord, man, and die. What does Job do? Degenerate? Does he look, does he conduct himself like he looks? No. Yeah, I mean, he says, I'm not going to do that. There's a certain way in which I'm expected to conduct myself and I will not go below that. That's dignity. That's dignity. And uh, we don't have to look at many more examples to, to, to explain this point. And then I wanted to talk um, vision. I want to talk about vision. I don't know what vision you have for yourself. I mean, I could probably unlock your phone and have a look at what your screen is. You know, maybe there's a lady there, in which case that's your vision. So we're going to get married, get a family, you know, that's my vision. I don't know, maybe it's a car, so it's something for you, it's some material, that's what you aspire to. Um, maybe it's an icon, a football icon, uh, a political icon, I don't know. But have you ever asked yourself what those, the people behind, maybe let's leave that, you know, the lady, because she's the product of what God made. But these other people that we have on the screen, have we ever considered what it is that informs their being where they are. Vision. The Bible said, no, it's not the Bible, but Ellen White, when commenting about the likes of Moses, the likes of uh, Joseph. You remember what, what Moses did when he saw two Egyptians fighting? I mean, two Israelites fight. well, an, an, an Israel and an Egyptian fighting. You remember what he did? How he intervened, this desire, you know? And, um, and you remember the dreams that uh, Joseph had. Um, and he kept on and on about these dreams, about these dreams, about these dreams. Um, vision is extremely important. Extremely important. 
there are two types of visions. Fuzzy vision, by fuzzy I mean, you sort of, that's sort of the end goal, but you're not very clear about how you're going to get there. That's sort of fuzzy. You know, like Joseph would give those things about the sheaf and it was not very clear to him how that would happen, but that, that's sort of where he saw the whole thing. And then there's obviously the more clear one, two years, five years, 10 years, etc. A leader cannot function without vision. And I just want to say, if we don't have vision, you really, I would really suggest that we, we, we individually pray about it and just ask the Lord, to give us vision. This is where I want to be. This is what I want to achieve. And we cannot do that outside or with you, 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 like sort of um, in a bubble outside the reality of the fact that ultimately God has actually endowed us with abilities that are meant to be plowed back into his work. But a vision, a vision, I mean you can imagine a family a husband and a wife, and a husband without a vision. It's, 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 it's actually, I think, one of the biggest issues in society today, that uh, we have a lot of gentlemen without vision. And, and, and I tell you, a, a vision is to a man what, I hadn't prepared that one. I hadn't prepared that one, but, you get the point I'm trying to make. It's, it, it, it is extremely important, this thing of vision. I mean, do you just come to university and then when I finish, I'm just going to finish and then I, 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 I'm sort of done. You, you realize university is just four years or six years. You're probably gonna work for 40 years of your life. 40, this is nothing. Okay, we can even add, we can throw in the years of high school. Make that 2022. 20, What's that compared to 40 years of real life? Real life. So maybe let me finish off by saying that um, you are at a very prime age. I don't want to give this name because it's not a biblical name and it might be controversial, but I've got many examples, but around this time in your life, some of the greatest people that we know in the Bible and in this world made decisions that completely changed their lives. They changed their friends, they changed their associates, they changed the books they read, they changed the things they did. They made a decision around this time in their life that I'm going to stand up, I'm going to be a man, I'm going to be responsible, I'm going to take initiative, and I'm going to go somewhere. Made all the difference. I, 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 I haven't done too much work, but Joseph was just about this age when what happened to him happened to him. Daniel was just about this age as well. David, a little bit older. Moses, of course, had just come through university when he committed the atrocious act and spent 40 years with his grandfather. Um, yeah, uncle. So you are at a very prime age. You're a place where the future of your life is still very malleable. The older you get, it's like clay. It starts to dry up, becomes harder to bend, becomes harder to be molded. So you've just come out of, and this is my last point, you've just come out of home. At home, 
You go according to the rules of whoever is running the house. You're just about to go into another home. In that other home, you can take it from me, there is another government. A very powerful government. Oh yes. Oh yes. So, between the house that you come from and that in the house you're going to, you are as free as you will ever be. So this is what you're going to do during this time. No, it's not for what, uh, some of you, it's not for what you think. You are free to do the following thing. You're free to evaluate what your parents taught you or your guardians taught you. You can decide what you're going to take with you and what you're going to leave. Because now you're going to define what will make you. This is when it happens, not when you start the other family. Now, because that will also inform the type of family you're going to start. So if you make the decision that, well, I'm happy with how things went at home, and don't take this the wrong way, but you're most likely going to marry your mom. Don't take it the wrong way, it's not an insult. Some of, well, I'm sure we all have lovely moms, those of us who, whose moms are still around. If you decide, I'm not quite, I didn't quite like the type of family, maybe I came from a family where my dad abused my mom, whatever, I'm going to do things differently. It's going to impact and inform the type of decision you take now. So you don't have a lot of time left, but you still have time. You study those characters and take a decision about the person and the individual you want to be. And many years down the line, when your name comes up, the question is, what type of characteristics will be associated with your name? It is the sum of your entire life. Good names don't happen overnight. They take years to build. God bless you.